to the 3304 Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Daniel Steinbach, joined today by Cole Bjorn Bergstrom. We're going to have a jam-packed show for you today. Uh, a lot of talk about Virginia Tech basketball, and then we've got some big news coming out of the NFL, and we're going to have some fun at the end to wrap it up with a mock draft. Uh, how are you doing today? I'm doing very well, Dan. How about yourself? I'm doing pretty good, pretty amped. A uh, little disappointed uh, that we don't get to watch Virginia Tech basketball tomorrow. We are recording this on Friday the 12th. So disappointed that we won't be able to watch that basketball game. Disappointed we didn't get a basketball game earlier in the week. But, you know, there's other ways to keep yourself occupied. Um, so I, I know that wrestling has a big match coming up. I don't know what day that is. Um, but, yeah, really was looking forward to some basketball over the weekend. But... I mean, still get to I, – I'm personally looking forward to uh, watching Drake, Loyal, Chicago, two top teams in the Missouri Valley. They're playing at 12, and they're both tournament-caliber teams, in my opinion. Both uh, I love my mid-majors. So, um, yeah, that's a good way to start, I think, because we are going to start off with Tech Basketball. But I just want to give a little shout-out to the 3304 Sports Podcast. If you are listening to us – possibly listening on Saturday instead of getting ready to watch Virginia Tech take on Louisville. Uh, you can now listen to the 3304 Sports Podcast on Anchor and Spotify. So just give our listeners out there a bit of an easier way to access us. So we hope you check us out on there. And yeah, we are grateful for everyone that listens in. All right. So Tech Basketball, uh, we have not uh, – the Virginia Tech basketball team, men's, has not played uh, since the sixth against Miami when they won. Mm -hmm. Now, however, these last two games, Tuesday the ninth against Florida State has been postponed, and this game on Saturday has been postponed against Louisville. That has already been rescheduled for March 3rd. However, just in general, Tech Basketball has had a couple of canceled or postponed games. The Virginia game in Charlottesville earlier this season was postponed there's still no makeup date on that and it's still registered as postponed rather than straight up canceled and the january 20th game against boston college in castle coliseum was postponed as well that has no makeup date and as of now the florida state game from february 9th has no makeup date so there there are three games two of them against top 25 opponents that are just off of virginia tech schedule right now the next game that is scheduled is february 16th so this is a team that is looking to get some momentum going into the ACC tournament, into postseason play, and they won't have played in 10 games. And this kind of speaks to college basketball in general. Uh, tonight, uh, Friday the 12th, there are six Division I games that are either canceled or postponed. And for this weekend, there are 17 games canceled or postponed on Saturday, and then an additional five on Sunday. And just looking at big picture, you, talk, you take a look at some of the teams at the top of – the NCAA this year, Michigan currently ranked number three. They haven't played and their next game, they want to play for 22 days. So over three weeks. And then of course, Villanova, who is currently ranked fifth with the whole big East schedule realignment earlier on in the season, they did not play for a 27 day stretch. 
So it kind of just speaks to how much chaos there is with COVID-19 canceling and postponing games. Now, what are your reactions to seeing these? Do you think this is a positive thing for some teams? And overall, some people think this makes it difficult to evaluate who's really good, who's not as good. For these top teams, this long time off can potentially kill some momentum. And I mean, that's not really fair to these players, to these coaches. What are your just overall reactions to what's been going on this year and all the games that especially Virginia Tech is losing? Yeah, I, I think with um, how how it feels like uh, college basketball has been trying to keep it, you know, as close to home as possible to where we're it's not like a neutral site and they're trying to play home and away, though it will be a neutral site for the uh, March Madness tournament. Um, I think it's been, you know, for college campuses and whatnot, fairly successful, but you have these instances like um, Villanova and Michigan where they have these long stretches and it starts to become hard because for a team like Virginia Tech to miss a couple games in a week isn't too, like, isn't too bad. It's, it's like the farther away that you get away from actual competitive competition is where I think it starts to get a concern for some of these teams. Um I mean, specifically on Virginia Tech, I feel pretty uh, happy with our program, how overall we've seemingly been able to manage for basketball, because um, most of the stuff has actually come from these outside camps that have uh, unfortunately been having to deal with COVID issues. Um, but yeah, definitely for a team like Michigan, I think it's going to be a bit of a concern to see how they're going to be able to play after this. Um, and with overall looking at some of the teams that are up towards the top who have missed a lot of games, I do agree it's hard to analyze for some of them it feels if sometimes some of these teams are moving up and they're not really having to do much just mostly the teams above them are losing but uh I, I think it adds an interesting flavor for this year because this year there's been a lot of teams that have been dropping out of the top 25 that you wouldn't expect to expected to and I think that this gives some teams that have been able to not only work through these hard times well but have also been able to play good basketball some good shine and it's been able to give some of these programs that um, have been struggling or have had to struggle through this year. Um, I, I don't know whether it's a kind of a reality check on the program or it's more of like it's giving them a little bit of fight. Um, for example, I grew up a Kansas basketball fan and the team has looked a lot more lively, though they have uh, played Oklahoma State and Iowa State, two teams that are one towards the bottom of the Big 12 and the other one's towards the middle of the big 12. Um, but they've actually played them and they've won back-to-back games without top 25. I feel as if the team's starting to get that type of reality check. I feel as if North Carolina has been playing some uh, overall fairly consistent basketball, only a couple games that they've seen like they've really been out of. I don't know. I mean, are, do you feel like there's some teams up there that it's kind of hard to uh, see exactly why they're up there or see like, you know, it's hard to like get a gauge on them. I definitely think a talent evaluation team to team is more difficult. Um, I mean, earlier on in the season, I, I think we can all agree that teams like Gonzaga and Baylor are, you know, the cream of the crop in college basketball this year. It just, it's, it's really tough because not only do you have to just take into consideration talent evaluation, you have to take into the fact into consideration. There are no fans at these games. You know, these are quiet arenas. Is there really a home court advantage? You take a look at some of the teams at the top. You know, you mentioned 
uh, you're a can you grew up a Kansas fan. I grew up a Michigan state basketball fan. Those two teams are not in the top 25. Same with Duke, same with North Carolina, same with Kentucky. It's unprecedented it's in terms of rankings, what we're seeing from those typical powerhouse programs, not being ranked this year. And when you think about that, you go back to it. It's like, would Kansas really be not playing so well if they had uh, fans at their home games? Would Michigan state be playing as poorly if they were uh, having that same home atmosphere at home games? I mean, Cameron indoor is one of the most difficult places to play, but Duke is not having a good year. So in terms of that, it's very difficult. I, I don't know where I stand though, in terms of some people are just flat out not considering this year as real. Now, I think that uh, speaks to the flavor of fan that you might be if you consider this a quote real season because you're, you're having di- you're having different atmospheres, you're having different uh, ways to strategize going into a game. Again, you have no home court advantage. March Madness is going to be completely crazy with no uh, crowd because you know, once March Madness happens and say an underdog team is really getting into it, the crowd will typically favor that underdog. And that really can be what creates those upsets. So where, where do you stand? Do you consider this a real season? And for a team, especially like Virginia tech, you know, this is a program where you can look at it and say, this is the second year of a coach. It's a young team, but they're still making progress forward. Do you think that that progress forward is something that can continue, you know, moving on with years to come, or do you think this year is fake in a sense and next year programs like Virginia Tech can hit a just hit a wall? Well, I think it can show a little bit of like of the grit and the passion of the players, the connection of the players, because I do agree. Sometimes like the home court advantage is huge. Um, whether it's at Cameron Indoor or Allen Fieldhouse, some of the like biggest and loudest stadiums like in the country. Um it, it will definitely help teams get into the swing of things. I mean, I even feel as if sometimes if there were fans during the college football season for Virginia Tech at Lane Stadium, I feel as if that could have helped swing the team into favor and help them get hyped up. It's a lot more of a, the fans at home are definitely a bit of a boost for people, or even if you get a lot of fans away from home. Um, and I can agree with uh, some extent. One thing that I hadn't even thought about, for example, um, some people I could easily see, I mean, I haven't, see much on this because of our end of it but when Villanova got rescheduled that weekend for uh with us with Virginia Tech and we beat Villanova in overtime they could have seen that as a write-off like well we couldn't have prepared for Virginia Tech but we can also say that well we couldn't have prepared for Villanova so I feel as if it's with with how this season has overall played out it's showed for some teams how much fans can actually mean I think it shows for others, um, particularly when we've been uh, watching Virginia Tech as locals, I think it's very much showing sometimes like the connection of teams and overall, if you're able to get the right pieces, if they can click together how the coach wants them to, how they succeed. Um, I mean, one thing I hadn't even known myself was that Couture was uh, recruited by Mike Young uh, to Wofford originally. Um, I I knew that with Kebe Aluma, but I didn't know that with Hunter Couture, so when I heard about that recently, um, that was actually really good. And I think it shows for someone like Mike Young, for example, um, how much he like is able to run his system and how well he's able to run it. I mean, he was able to get, uh, before he left Wofford, he got him into the top 25. 
So I'm very impressed with Mike Young in particular and for VT in particular, because you'd also ask if we can continue this for next season. I really think we can. I think we've got the players to be able to do it. Um, one thing that I kind of knew that when um, Bradford went out with his suspension fairly recently, um, I knew that this team was going to have to get together and find ways to win uh, since Radford was definitely one of our integral pieces. And we really have. And I think that's something that really shows the strength of this Virginia Tech team and the excellent recruiting from Mike Young. I definitely agree with what you're saying. I have total confidence in Mike Young. I think he is definitely the coach to bring this program forward. I struggle with what some people use as a comparison to him. They like to call him the Frank Beamer of Virginia Tech basketball. Now, I did not grow up a Virginia Tech fan, so I, I can't really speak to Frank Beamer, but I know that he was so great here. Um, and I can't really anoint Mike Young to that status after not even two full seasons, but I can definitely agree that he has put this program on the right track. And in terms of what you want from a coach, I mean, you're following a coach that is as successful here as Buzz Williams was. You want to see improvement from where Buzz Williams was year to year. And when you look at it that way, I think Mike Young is way is already way ahead of schedule in terms of what this team, this program can do because with Buzz Williams, I mean, in his last, in his fifth season, took him to the sweet 16. This team already looks like a potential sweet 16 team this year. So that's already really good and speaks well. It's just, again, with all these cancellations, no fans at games, it's tough for evaluation's sake if, say, next year they hit a bump, maybe they're not a Sweet 16-level team. You know, maybe we jump ahead in terms of our evaluation. But I, I totally agree with you uh, on thinking that Mike Young has just done a terrific job here and has really brought his own sense of culture to the men's basketball program. And I know you uh, mentioned Tyrese Radford. That this could be potentially a good thing too in terms of these cancellations because I know that Mike Young mentioned that he wanted to get Tyrese Radford back in this week. Now, when he says that, the Florida State game had already been canceled. So I was eyeing Saturday's game against Louisville to be Tyrese Radford's return. But now it almost seems more than likely, definitely probably a high chance that he will be back for that Tuesday game against North Carolina on the 16th. Uh, how, how do you think this team has played without him? And do you think that he'll have fresh legs coming back? Or do you think he'll have a little bit of the rust factor coming back to ACC play, especially with only six games left in the regular season? Well, I think through the suspension, I don't think he was able, was he able to practice with the team? I don't think he was. So unless he's been able to get his own practice in which with someone with the mindset of Bradford, I would not be surprised if he's been able to get his own practice um, whenever he can, but there's gotta be a little bit of dead, uh, dead legs to it, but we've had some really good players step up during his absence, specifically um, against Miami, Bama Sealer really stepped up for us. And uh, I think even Mike Young commented that he's going to be earning a lot more minutes after that game. Um, our guard plays look really good throughout the year. So I think that Radford, I mean, he's just going to be a great compliment and a great addition to the team. I think he's going to really help the boys uh, push through this final stretch when, uh, whenever he's able to get back into the team. And with his being uh, one of our top scorers at the time, I think that uh, what he's able to bring to our uh, team 
is very important. And I think that if we're able to mesh them back in right, I think that we are going to look really, really good still. I just think that this is something where we were getting it on a little bit of a slide with Cone and Aluma before Bradford was out with the suspension. I think that this has helped them uh, get back up into the play that they've been showing earlier on in the year. And as I said, there's some other players that have come to shine like Famasil. And I think that the addition of Radford now is just going to be a compliment to the team. And hopefully he can get back to that scoring in which then hopefully we'll be able to see the growth of the team with the addition of Radford. I, I just have very high hopes for his coming back with our team. Yeah, I definitely agree with you. The dynamic that Tyrus Radford adds to this team. And I think that there have definitely been moments in previous games that we've watched and seen the impact that he makes missing from this team, whether it be on offense or on defense. So I think that's a good place to wrap up talking about tech basketball and college basketball in general. It's definitely going to be an exciting last few weeks as we scream towards March and see what ends up happening with the March Madness tournament uh, with the new format that they're doing, all of it being in Indiana. So I think that's a good place to move on and start going to the NFL uh, news of the day. Uh, you're listening to the 3304 Sports Podcast, now on Anchor and Spotify. So big news in the NFL today. I slept in a little bit, so I kind of woke up and I was just checking my phone for the latest news. And I had seen that J.J. Watt and the team were mutually agreeing to part ways. He had posted a video to his Twitter. And then I had seen after that, I was thinking, okay, so he's going to be now involved in trade talks. No, they just straight up released him. Yep. So... This speaks to a just big problem going on in Houston right now because they have all of the Sean Watson talk. He's And then now you have possibly their best player. I think you could maybe argue in franchise history. I mean, he was so good for that. Oh, yeah. Your stretch, he was there. Um, and he's definitely up there in terms of the Texans' echelon of players that they've had. And he's such a good community guy, too. Yeah, he's won Walter Payton Man of the Year in the NFL. So when you look at it from that perspective, what are the Houston Texans doing? They are having so many problems right now in their front office with their relationships with players. It's just not a, it's just not a good look for a franchise, especially one that doesn't have like an attractive future. They've traded away all their picks. They don't have a first round pick this year. They don't have a second round pick this year. They're possibly losing their franchise quarterback. You never want to get worse at quarterback on purpose. So they've messed up that relationship. And now you're losing a guy who for that team, for that franchise has been basically the face of it ever since he's been there. Uh, and I understand that he's had some injury concerns, but he played a full season this year. He played a full season two seasons ago. And he's not the same player that he was from his rookie season through uh, 2015 when he was racking up defensive player of the year awards and he was first team all pro all the time, uh, pro bowls, all that, but he's still productive. He's definitely still a player that I think teams could use. I mean, you take a look at his advanced stats in terms of total pressures on the season. He had 29, which was tied for 31st in the NFL. It's very, very good, especially considering uh, you look at other guys there, there were more pressures than a lot of high paid defensive ends in this league. 
And now he's nothing like his brother, TJ, in Pittsburgh with 61, which blew away uh, the rest of the NFL in terms of total pressures on defense. But he's still a very protective player. He's not going to be a max, you know, salary, like top 10 or even, you know, he, he's not going to get the same money he did. He would have maybe three years ago. Yeah. Yes. And I have a couple of landing spots. Now, of course, once something like this happens, odds makers and sports books are going to throw out their odds. None of them have the same odds. There's really no thought process that I think goes into this. It's just, okay, this is an attractive name. What are some landing spots? What are some connections we can make? So the landing spots that I've seen, typically at the top, you have very easy connections to make. You have the Pittsburgh Steelers at typically the favorites. Now, the reason I think there is obvious, his brother TJ plays there and his other brother Derek plays there. So you could potentially get the three Watt brothers on one team. Now, the Packers typically are around that second place spot. And reason being from Wisconsin, he played at Wisconsin. That's where he was drafted out of the NFL. Uh, drafted out of college. But the problem with both those two teams is they are in horrible cap space situations. They would have to make a lot of money be moved around for a guy that, yes, JJ Gawatt is certainly still a good player, but I don't think you need to give up all the other pieces that you would need to just to get him, bring him in on a cheap contract. Uh, I, I don't think that would be worth it personally. Another team that is pretty high up there are the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, the uh, defending Super Bowl champions. As of now, they do look to be in a good salary cap situation, but they have a ton of free agents that they have to make a bunch of decisions on in terms of who they want to bring back. They still have the draft. So JJ Watt could be a name that they look for, uh, especially with what they've done. You know, you look at Jason Pierre-Paul, you look at Ndamukong Sue, they bring in these veteran defensive line, but they really want to make sure that that defense, which won them a Super Bowl in that pass rush, they want to make sure that that's still a strength on their team. And JJ Watt could certainly bolster that. But in terms of teams that you're looking at and you're seeing them as playoff teams with more legitimate chances. You look at teams like the Colts and the Washington football team, they have loads of money, but they already have pretty sound defenses. I think they would want to look elsewhere on their teams in terms of who are the best teams, the best situation to go to, you know, you're looking at playoff contenders, people, uh, teams that have playoff wins and they have money. I think you're looking at teams like the Baltimore Ravens and the Cleveland Browns, other teams in the FC North besides the Pittsburgh Steelers who they have that money and they could really use JJ Watt. So I want to get your opinion on this. What was your reaction? Where do you think he could end up going? And what, what is, what is going on in Houston right now? I think, I mean, I, I think a little bit, um, I, I saw a tweet from Rappaport actually pretty recently, the fact that Texans could have actually had a trade um, for JJ Watt. They had some suitors to trade for him. So the fact that they decided to release him rather than eat a little bit of salary and trade him seems to be very confusing to me. Uh, the fact that they decided to go about it that way. Um, Houston, though, they're in a crazy situation. I remember uh, back when Deshaun Watson was talking about like a couple weeks ago, the fact that uh, he was wanting to leave. Andre Johnson, I think, went on um, one of the you know talk shows on TV recently, and he'd said that ever since uh, their current like owner general manager stepped in, like everything has been horrible in Houston. Andre Johnson, I think left pretty quickly after the owner left to Indianapolis. Um, so I, I think that there's just a big mess in that front office. I, I don't know exactly how they're going to be able to fix it. I, I mean, I don't know who's going to be able to come in, but the only thing I can see is a complete 
overhaul in who's in the front office to really fix this team because there's been a lot of priority issues. And back when Bill O'Brien was with the team, uh, it felt like he was getting rid of some players that had spite for basically nothing. Clowney and Hopkins were both players who were kind of fed up with him, and he got rid of them for dirt cheap. Um, we remember those trades. Those were really bad trades for the Texans, and they've turned out poorly. Um, but for the fact of J.J. Watt, I mean, he's a really, really good person. I myself am a Colts fan, so um, I, we've not had the fortune to come up against him because he is so good. But, uh, yeah, he has those injury issues and whatnot. But I think that someone like J.J. Watt is uh, you bring him into a team and even if he has to, you know, take even a little bit less time for health concerns or because he's getting up there in age, um, I think these can be an exciting piece for just about any of these playoff teams. And, I mean, though, yeah, I agree with you. Steelers and Packers have been the guys that it, it feels as if those teams have been the ones shouted from the rooftops that they're going to be the ones to get him, which they make perfect sense for um, – you know, history for him with the Wisconsin football team and with his whole family. But I mean, I myself, though, I would love to see him with the Colts because we do need some edge in Indianapolis uh, with Houston's contract getting freed up. Kamoko Ture is consistently injured. Um, and overall, I don't think we have the greatest of edge otherwise. I think we do need to add some in that department. I feel as if the Browns are probably his best landing spot. He doesn't have to be the best guy there. You have Miles Garrett to pair with him. And this is a team where their offense was looking pretty good last year. And if you're able to get a couple big defensive pieces in there, they were able to compete with Kansas City. They smoked Pittsburgh in the playoffs. And they're one of those teams that you could see sneak into those Super Bowl conversations with someone like J.J. Watt and with the good defensive leadership that you'll bring to the organization. I think that, like you said, the Browns are definitely up there in terms of, you know, competitiveness and fit. I think they're definitely up there uh, because not only are they good cap situation wise, and it makes sense from a fit perspective, like you said, you look at that division, they are, I think right there with Baltimore probably going into next season, you have to see what Pittsburgh does, but they're in a bad cap situation. You know, what are they going to do with Ben Roethlisberger? Uh, so what's their answer to the quarterback position? They have good players on defense, obviously DJ Watt, but it, it's just interesting to see what will happen in that division. And I mean, if the Browns just take another step in the off season, they could potentially come out if anything as a for sure wild card team, or maybe AFC North co-favorites with Baltimore. And I think for JJ Watt, I think going to a team that will be successful will be a big role, will play a big role in where he wants to go. And I think that's why a team like the Buccaneers, who are kind of in that second or third tier of where he would want to go, could end up being surprising for some people because you take a look at them. Yeah, they're the defending Super Bowl champs, but if they have some money left over, they can definitely, you know, pitch him that look at the division that we're in the Panthers and the Falcons are in near rebuilding mode. I mean, they're both two teams that we don't expect to make a massive leap from being bottom 10 teams in the NFL to all of a sudden being playoff contenders. And then the new Orleans saints are in horrible cap situation. Drew Brees is going to be gone. Uh, so the Buccaneers should definitely be, I think the favorites to win that division going into next season. And if Tom Brady can still, you know, 
be good enough to win them games. That that roster is loaded with talent. I think that a mistake that we're making when we're talking about the Buccaneers is, oh, it was all Tom Brady. That team had so much talent, but you take a look at you take you take a look at what happened with Jameis Winston being there. Just too much sloppy play ends up with a lot of shootout games that they just end up not winning. With Tom Brady there, the mistakes go down, uh, and you still have weapons in Mike Evans and Chris Godwin and a flurry of tight ends. They're going to get OJ Howard back. They have a good offensive line. They have a decent enough running game. They have a really great defense in terms of personnel and Todd Bowles being the coach. If they just have another good offseason, maybe they lose Chris Godwin, but they just give Brady another weapon. The Buccaneers should be the favorites to win the NFC South next year. So I think that's a, a, a good place for J.J. Watt to set his sights on. Oh, yeah. I mean, you, you saw that uh, video uh, recently when they were celebrating a couple days ago. Of Tom Brady throwing the Lombardi like it was nothing? <laughs> no, How? that was one of them. That was crazy, yeah. But Arians even uh, during that was – he was talking with Mike Evans and Chris Godwin on one of the stages, and he specifically took the mic uh, from Mike. And he said to Chris Godwin directly, you better be coming back next year or you're going to be coming back next year or something like that. He doesn't want to lose him. Yeah, I mean, that definitely seems like a good um, locker room. And Bruce yeah. Arians is, is just – it's like a he, – he's just a fun – he just seems like a fun guy. He seems like an NFL coach that is laid back and you'd want to play for him. I mean, risk it for the biscuit. I mean, come on. How, how much more laid back NFL coach could you get? So, yeah, maybe they just run it back again. Really I, I could definitely see it. What was that? I said they really felt like they came together throughout the playoffs. Oh, they for sure. They certainly did. They they didn't play like a single home game until the Super Bowl of Raymond James, right? So right, right. So being a being a wild card team, yeah, being a wild card team and having to win a bunch of road games to win a Super Bowl is certainly impressive and certainly speaks to what that team was able to do. Uh, But yeah, that's that's why I think. If I was JJ Watt, I would look at the Buccaneers and not just be like a bandwagon, but just in terms of fit, it, it makes sense in my opinion that he would go there because they have personnel, they have potentially a salary cap space. Uh, Brown's another place to go. I, I think there are plenty of suitors for JJ Watt. It all comes down to are people willing to pay him? Because I, I think people might try to undershoot him just because of his age and his injury history, but I still think he's productive enough that he can demand that he can, you know, demand that he gets a higher offer in terms of money. Uh, I think for a good salary. I, I think he will. And I think on top of that, with the, both the teams that we mentioned, the Buccaneers and the Browns, look at the offensive lines that he's come up against. Even if he doesn't have like, for what I mentioned with the Browns with like a Miles Garrett, I think that he could do really well against those offensive lines. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah I, I think so too. They're really good, but. That yeah. The Bengals have had yeah. issues with it in recent years. The Ravens are going to be losing Orlando Brown, possibly. At least that's what the rumors are. The Pittsburgh's been having issues over last year. Um, and then even in the uh, the NFC South, you have the Falcons, who were struggling in that department a little bit, as well as the uh, uh, Panthers as well. So it's going to be very intriguing if he goes to either of those teams or – I mean, of course, whatever team he goes to, because I think that he's going to be a big impact player. I still think he's got a good bit of juice left in the tank. If you have a 
for sure number one pass rusher on your team adding jj Watt just makes that defensive line all the more scary i think that that's definitely the conclusion that can be drawn here he's definitely going to go somewhere and be an integral part on a defensive line i don't think he'll be the the guy that ends up getting you know double and triple teamed like he used to be Uh, but he doesn't need to He, he can still do enough that he's worth the money um especially if you have a guy, I mean, I'm seeing, of course, I'm a Dallas Cowboys fan. So I'm seeing everyone say, yes, it's definitely worth going and getting him because you pair him with DeMarcus Lawrence, who may have had a disappointing season, but the two of those and that rotation of guys like Randy Gregory, JJ, Watt can fit in anywhere. That's the thing. And you can never have too many pass rushers in today's NFL. So it'll be interesting to see where he goes. Uh, and I think it's a good segue. I mean, we're talking about JJ, Watt, we're talking about the Texans. Uh, Deshaun Watson, we can get into this story because we want to branch out to the trade player and quarterback carousel as a whole. Uh, Came out today, Jeremy Fowler of ESPN said that Deshaun Watson was intrigued by favorite destinations of the Denver Broncos and San Francisco 49ers. So I know that you have a list of players that you want to talk about in terms of trades going down. You want to talk some QB carousel with me. What are your thoughts on this whole Sean Watson situation? Then we can branch out into the whole general NFL. I, I go into one tweet that I saw, I think it was about a week or two back as well, when the situation was starting to come up, of exactly what Houston's price tag they've mentioned is for him. Um, now, maybe that price tag isn't going to be met, but it's been mentioned, um, and I don't, I don't know if you've seen this as well, but it was they're wanting a package of two firsts, two seconds, and two like good defensive players. That's the package that, um, at the very least, I've heard. Um, the person that I've heard that from, I actually don't remember, so I apologize for that. But, I mean, for me personally, though, this isn't my number one team. This is the Colts. It's the Colts for me, but I really like his fit in Washington. And they, they feel like a team that they're quarterback away from really being able to compete. Um, and they got the defensive pieces for it. But, I mean, I'd love to hear your take on the couple teams here, but personally – from what I've seen from ESPN analysts, they've been saying a lot that the Panthers are a very good destination with how aggressive their GM is and how they're going to be wanting to push for this trade. And they have the guy in Teddy Bridgewater that they could, you know, probably entice Houston to come and get. But then for me, it's also Washington as well, since they fit the, the like trade package, they have, they have some defensive players that they can trade and, when you look at the market, there's some really good defensive players that are going to become available this free agency period. So I think that for Washington, a team that definitely was struggling with quarterback play last year through mostly injuries, I think you add someone like Deshaun Watson to that team and it's just going to be an incredible team and they could instantly leap into strong favorites of the NFC East for years to come. I mean, I totally agree with you in terms of Washington. I mean, they're a elite QB away with that defense. That's definitely scary, especially considering the Eagles and the Giants. The Giants made progress this year, and the Eagles are kind of a mess. And if the Dallas Cowboys don't resign Dak Prescott, certainly you're looking at Washington being yep. that team in the division. Um, yeah, I mean, even with Dak Prescott, the Cowboys would have to have a good offseason to match, I think, the quality of the roster of Washington. Um, and their talented players would need to step it back up. But in terms of where Deshaun Watson could go, I've, I've, I'm hearing a lot more about Carolina. I think Carolina is definitely a team that's up there. 
And just jumping, just jumping back, it, it's my personal opinion. I think that cost is too low. If I was Houston, um, oh yeah, I think that young franchise quarterback play is nearly priceless in the NFL. I think that you can't speak enough about how good of a player Deshaun Watson is and how important he can be to a franchise, just instantly elevating them from absolute trash to playoff contender and even Super Bowl contender especially if you put the right pieces around them. So in, in that sense, I think that Houston understands the reality of the situation. And I don't know when he'll get, when he would get traded. I think it would be closer to the start of the season. I don't think that any team as of now is ready to make that commitment or Houston just ready, isn't ready to take a deal yet. Um, because it's clear that he does not, I, I don't think he wants to play for them anymore. And I think he'll end up holding out in camp and it could, it could stretch into the regular season. Uh, and Houston will, I think need to get this done soon because if you want to spark that rebuild, I think you have to start with this year, especially if you can get a team like Carolina to bite and give you that pick in the top 10, you can potentially still come out of this with one of the top four quarterbacks in this draft. And this, this draft is loaded with quarterbacks. We're going to end the day on it. Uh, but Houston's situation is just such a mess. Deshaun Watson will, there are a plethora of places that he can go. Uh, like you said, Washington's definitely one of them. I was surprised early on that the favorite was the Jets, but they have the pieces to get a quick rebuild started. It doesn't take that long to rebuild in the NFL. This isn't like baseball where you have to tank for so yes. many seasons and rebuild the farm system. You take a look at the Colts. The Colts a couple of years ago, we're in a bad spot. I, I remember after the uh, NCAA championship, after the college football playoff championship, when Clemson won Trevor Lawrence's freshman year, they were saying the Colts should tank for the next three years, build up everything, and then just draft Trevor Lawrence. But then the Colts yeah, took two seasons. Retired, right? Yes. Yeah. The, the Colts were taking – the Colts, after Andrew Luck retired, they took two seasons, and they started Jacoby Brissett – and they built everything up, and then they had Phil Rivers. All of a sudden, they're a playoff team. Yep. And now we're going back to the offseason with Philip Rivers, and you're asking, okay, who's the, who's going to be the quarterback? Because I think that you're a dynamic quarterback away with that talented roster from really taking That's that next step and being a Super Bowl yeah. team. So when you look at it from that perspective, uh, Houston, this doesn't need to be something where Houston can – mess this up and be like horrible for decades. They need to put the right front office people in place and they need to make the right moves following a Deshaun Watson trade where you can, uh, you know, um, put a rebuild in place and get it done quickly. So it's going to be uh, interesting to see where he goes. I would say, however, that I think, where do I think he, where do I think he ends up going? I think he goes to, honestly, I think he goes to Carolina. I think Carolina is a team that is really building something well with Matt rule. And like you said, uh, their GM is very aggressive and they have some young players that they could definitely offer. And again, I think two firsts and two seconds draft picks are, a lot, are lottery tickets and Deshaun Watson's the real deal. So it, it's priceless. And if you can get them for what I would consider cheap, I think you definitely go for it. And then you worry about the rest later. For someone with Carolina as well, what I can actually understand with a little bit, of this is, um, the fact of the matter that the Falcons are a team that's struggling and it feels like they're going to have to go through a rebuild of their own, though they may not even have an idea of what they want 
for someone like Matt Ryan or Julio Jones and what's going to happen with them. The Saints, Drew Brees is expected to retire this offseason, so we don't know exactly how they're going to be able to rebound without him. So it's really just the division feels like it's Tampa's, and I think that Carolina knows that. I feel as if they know that if they can get someone like Deshaun Watson, pairing him with Christian McCaffrey can put them right in the running to be the number two team in that division, possibly challenging Tampa if they play their cards right. And again, it doesn't even need to be about thinking just one year in the future. Sean Watson's on on contract. And yes, Tom Brady's immortal and the Buccaneers just won the championship, but it's still an old roster with a lot of old, like veteran players that you think will deteriorate in value at some point. And once that's done, you're looking at Carolina. Okay. We have Deshaun Watson and we have other young pieces and we have Matt rule. We can make a run at this division again, if we play our cards right with this. So I think that that is definitely a good place to go with him. So now uh, I want to open it up to you because I know you have some players that you want to talk about in terms of trades going on and you have a quarterback carousel story. So let's just jump right into that. Well, there's one of the players that I talked about during the JJ Watt discussions. Um, We've been hearing rumors on someone like Orlando Brown departing um, Baltimore, someone who's a huge uh, prospect for, as he specifically noted that I can play left tackle. A lot of these, there's a lot of teams that are really needing left tackles and the possibility of um, Baltimore, maybe even being able to trade up in the draft, like a pick swap with their first round pick. I think it's something that, is going to be very enticing for that team, particularly with a lot of the tackle talent that's coming up in this draft. So, yeah, I, I think that's definitely a, a move. Um, I don't know exactly what teams are feeling for him, but I, I think it's very exciting for teams like Washington, Indianapolis, uh, Los Angeles Chargers, um, teams that can go and get this young man who's on, a, what, a third round pick contract. So it's not too pricey currently, though he has a couple of years left and go and get protection for their quarterback, particularly for someone like Los Angeles. This is definitely a move where Orlando Brown is betting on himself because he was he's playing right tackle. Ronnie Stanley gets hurt, and now he has to play left tackle for the Ravens, and he does well this year. And he's definitely betting on himself because you look at the money. Left tackles make way more money than right tackles do on average. And so, yeah, I mean, there are plenty of teams that can go out and – get him and play him at left tackle and there are teams that can target him and are that are pegged to target tackles in the draft uh so yeah i mean good for him i think plenty of teams could use him left tackle is one of the most important positions i mean it's probably in that second tier i mean you have quarterback and then you look a tier below it it's like you need a good offensive tackle and you need a good pass rush so i i think that that might not be the most sexy move because you know people don't really consider left tackles to be a premier premier position but if whoever gets him is definitely going to get a bargain and i think that in general it's a smart football move uh in terms of there, the trade that you want to make yeah there's someone that finds that type of deal kind of sexy though that's mr chris ballard uh in charge of indianapolis we've they've been really building through offensive line and defensive line uh ever since chris ballard's been there it's been like his top priority we traded our first round pick last year for DeForest Buckner. Um, first year in charge, we traded down uh, where the Jets took uh, Sam Darnold and we took Quentin Nelson. We've gathered guys like Braden Smith through the draft in recent years and retained guys like Klawinski and Kelly. I think this is really something that's right up Chris Ballard's alley. 
And particularly if he can still retain a first round pick, um, if it's just going to be like a pick trade as well as probably something else thrown in there, that's something that he'd be excited about because then he has someone that he doesn't have to worry about signing down for a couple of years with all the free agents that we're going to be having coming around that time as well, which I think is the only concern with that type of deal for Indy. Yeah, I think that Indianapolis could definitely be a target place, especially if they do end up becoming players in the quarterback carousel this offseason. I mean, especially with the retirement of Anthony Costanzo uh, over there. So trying to keep that improved offensive lineup uh, will definitely be, could definitely be a priority for them. And they could be a target in the draft as well. Uh, So I wanted to see what else you got. So what, what, what else you got? What else you got for these trades? What else you got for these quarterbacks? Yeah, I got a couple other just uh, guys to talk about here. One that's known and one that I've kind of been feeling myself um, uh, before this quarterback carousel. So one that's known but hasn't really been talked about for a while because of the quarterback carousel is Stephon Gilmore. Um, Feels like he in New England, like it it feels like it's that time for Belichick to have signed him down after a year, move him. Um, Feels like, you know, the division around New England's getting better and better. And with a team like now run by Salah, um, I think the Jets could become a hotspot, particularly for some defensive players. And I think that it could kind of be time to move Gilmore. You can get good value for him. New England desperately needs a quarterback. Um, and they it sounds like they're going to be looking through the draft for that. And overall, I think they need to build for the future because it's going to be hard to compete with a team like the Bills and a growing team like uh, the Miami Dolphins. I totally agree with you. I think that... Uh... Gilmore is a player that will be on the move this offseason. And when you look at just Bill Belichick in general, I don't think he takes the Super Bowl win, you know, very lightly from the Buccaneers because now everyone in the media is going to start to question him and say, oh, it was all Brady all those years. I think he's going to take this offseason very seriously. And I think trading Gilmore is one of those moves. That just seems like a relationship that's kind of done. Uh, He played really well for them on a defensive player of the year. But I, I think you can get a good value for them. Definitely get a first round pick. And I think that they can go out and target some skill players. They can get a quarterback. Uh, they can make the right moves. I mean, I still trust New England's draft process, even if they haven't, you know, focused on uh, offensive skill positions, probably like they should have. But I, I think Gilmore is definitely a player that ends up getting moved. Yeah, I don't know about you, but I'm really feeling the Cardinals and Jaguars for him because for the Jaguars, you can really help build up that secondary. Um, obviously, it's an indie fan that wouldn't excite me, but they do have a struggling secondary, and I think someone like Gilmore would really help shape it up for a couple of years. And then for the Cardinals, they just lost Patrick Peterson, and uh, I, I think I remember hearing from even some Cardinals fans as well that he seemed to decline a little bit this year. So getting someone like Gilmore would be excellent for that team. It'd be really helpful for a team where the division where you have Russell Wilson, uh, as you've said, the potential for Deshaun Watson to come in. And uh, now you have Matthew Stafford. So secondary play is going to be quintessential when it comes to the NFC West. I have no arguments. And just to then move along, because I mean, I think that those two are definitely really good for him. The one t- a player who I haven't heard anything about, but seems like it happens every single off season, the, uh, hot potato um, trade of Brandon Cooks. I think there's a lot mm. of teams that really need wide receivers. I think he's someone that – I think he now has a couple of years left on his contract. 
And for Houston, since they're becoming a mess, I don't think he'd want to stay. And I think that he's someone that could go back to New England. He could go to Chicago. He could go and be the number two in Washington. And he could go and be competitive for some of these teams. And I don't think it's going to cost teams too, too much to get someone like him. So where then Houston can free up cap space over the long term. That's definitely a name uh, for sure. Uh, and, and when if, if that were to happen, you know, everyone would, I, I think a lot of people would dog on him and too many people would because they'd be talking about, oh, it's already his fifth team in the NFL. Oh, yeah. But he's still a productive player. It's not like he's bad. It's just he's in odd situations, you know. New Orleans didn't want to pay him big money after his, at like near the end of his rookie contract. And I mean, they got a first round pick from New England for him. So they did that. And then Los Angeles ends up paying him the big money. They get into kind of a cap situation. So they trade him away after he takes a smaller role in their offense. And then with Houston, he still put up over 1,100 yards this season. So he's yeah, still he's good. Player. He's still valuable. It's just teams are in these – he keeps going to these teams that are in bad situations cap-wise. And if he finds the right fit with a good quarterback, he can still be a good wide receiver. I still think he has wide receiver one potential uh ability maybe as he gets up there in age maybe not and maybe a really high end wide receiver too becomes what he kind of is in the nfl but he's still good i i still think that he's you know a player that teams should be after if if he's on the trade if he's on the trade block yeah if he, if he wants to be a number one guy that's where i definitely think the bears and patriots because i don't think the bears are going to retain Allen robinson he's talking oh, about they won't. no he's done he, he's yeah, done there I, I, I don't see them getting it back so I just don't think that he's going to want to stay and Brandon Cooks could easily go in there and be the number one to possible quarterback that we, uh, we might be talking about here shortly. And then for the Patriots, they've been struggling because Nikhil Harry hasn't quite turned out yet, though I still think he's got a shot. He's still got the, you know, the build to be able to really be a successful uh, sick receiver, I think. And then you have the aging Julian Edelman. And as you said, if Belichick really takes this chip on his shoulder, he's worked with Brandon Cooks before. And I think that he could find ways to utilize Brandon Cooks to really good extent because I think he is overall a really good coach and it's a good coaching system in New England. I agree. All right, let's get into these quarterbacks now because I'm interested in what you have to say. How many How many quarterbacks do you have here? Uh, I only wanted to mention like a couple because, I mean, overall it's kind of a toss-up for some of these guys, but it feels like there's only three that feel determined, which to me is Carson Wentz, Deshaun Watson, and Sam Darnold. Okay. Um, hmm. I think the tough thing with Carson Wentz right now is that you're hearing all the things out of Philadelphia that Howie Roseman wants a lot more than what people are offering him. Mm -hmm. I think he does get, end up getting moved because I mean, it just feels like a mess over there right now. Uh, it'll be tough to see who ends up going for him. I think the number one team for him right now is the Colts only because they, they do seem like they're that quarterback away. They think that reuniting him with Frank Reich can really help. They do have the cap space to eat, uh, so they don't have to worry about that with him. And I, honestly, they add maybe a couple more weapons. Um, I mean, I like Michael Pittman, but I, I think you add another one. You have a good running game. You have a good offensive line. Yeah, you have obviously help. that defense. I think that the Colts seem to be the, the place that Carson Wentz ends up, ends up going. Darnold, I have no idea. And Deshaun Watson, I lean Panthers. But again, there are still plethora of teams because – Far and away, Watson's the best quarterback out of that group of three. 
Um, yeah, no, he's, he's a top five quarterback to Sean Watson. That feels if you put him in the right situation, he's a top three guy. He's highly talented. He's sure. Pure, like I remember uh, that was the college football playoff game. I watched the most of mostly because I just loved how Deshaun Watson played. That was before college and everything, of course, but Deshaun Watson is such a talent. And I think that giving him the right team is good, but specifically on Carson Wentz um, though, as, as a fan, I've been hesitant with Carson Wentz, I, I do agree that Indy would be a great place for him. And I think that overall, we would definitely be willing to give him a shot um, just because of how well he worked with Frank Reich. Like, I think the thing that I, I personally keep putting in my mind, and I think a lot of people do as well, the fact that he was the most successful with Frank Reich. That was when he had his possible MVP statistic season. So I think that reuniting him with uh, Frank Wright could be a dream scenario, particularly with the locker room that we built and the culture that we have in Indianapolis. Um, I think it's something that could really feel like a welcoming presence. And I think it's something that could bring him back. Then you also have a team that has really been like seemingly in the offers form, which is Chicago. And though they're losing Allen Robinson and I'm concerned for once that it could be just as bad, if not worse of an offensive situation than he's been in, been in, in the past couple of years. I still think that a fresh move with a fresh city is something that will help him. And it feels like Howie Roseman, I think, got really excited by this Matthew Stafford trade. And it's really like got the price of quarterbacks skyrocketed now. And I think over the next couple of weeks, we're really going to see the price lowering back down to what people thought was the expectation of his price. Not quite to where I think we were thinking that he would be, which I think was like a day two pick at this point with how bad his cap situation is like almost a, 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 a glamored up Brock Osweiler situation with Denver and Houston. Uh, actually, I think Houston was, but I definitely think that he's, he's got to be moved at this point. I mean, Jalen hurts looks incredible and there's no shot that they're going to move him. He's, he feels like he's the future of the franchise. So you really got to move Carson once you got to get him to somewhere that, is just going to be able to welcome him. And overall, I mean, obviously you have the cap space for him. So, I mean, certainly any team that takes on Carson Wentz is going to try to revive him to what he once was. Uh, Philly. Yeah. Yeah. Carson, Wentz, uh, not Carson Wentz. Jalen Hurts does feel like the future. He showed you flashes. I don't think he really showed the completeness where he's a sure thing, but I, I think they definitely move forward with him. It, it's still a confusing pick to me. Like, oh, I mean, I guess so it ends up working. Uh, yeah. I guess it still ends up working out because now they have a guy to move off of Wentz, but I, I, I don't know. That whole situation just seems uh, fishy to me. Um, so it is a mess. And as I said, with that Matthew Stafford trade, I think that really excited Howie Roseman because he's like, Oh, I can actually trade Wentz for, what I think. Right. And I think, I think that the thing that someone like Howie or definitely someone or definitely some fans of the NFL need to realize is with the lions and the Rams in that trade, Matthew Stafford alone at his age and at his declining production was not worth two first round picks. The Rams threw in another pick Mm -hmm. so that the lions could take Jared Goff. And if you're the Eagles, you're not saying, Hey, look, this is Carson Wentz. He's, better than Matthew Stafford. We're going to sell him as being better than Matthew Stafford. So we should be getting more. No, you have to take the hit because 
people see Carson Wentz as closer to the Jared Goff of that trade than they do the Matthew Stafford. So your, your price is your price for him is going down. Definitely. Um, all right. So then you said you have one quarterback that you have a question about. I, I want to hear what you have to say and then we can wrap this up with a little fun mock draft. Yeah. I mean, the other, the other guy that I think has been talked about a lot, which makes sense to me is uh, Sam Darnold. Um, I, there's certainly other quarterbacks in which if you have someone to throw in, feel free, but Darnold is someone that's been talked about a lot to be getting moved. Um, I think that you can put him in a better offensive situation and for someone as young as he is, I mean, I think that you still have a good chance with the flashes he's shown with New York to really get a good quarterback out of him. I think there's like mixed opinions and like fans and whatnot on how good he is. But I think that if you give him the right team, I mean, particularly if he comes like Indianapolis, I think that he could really show his uh, skills. But it's just a matter, I think, of the price at that point. But you also have the 49ers are supposedly one to have Jimmy Garoppolo get challenged for the job right now. Mm-hmm. Obviously, he could stay in New York uh, because I think Saul is a good coach, and I think he's someone that could really entice him to stay with what the culture that he brings. Then you got Washington and Carolina, of course, teams that want quarterbacks, and overall, they could challenge the quarterbacks that are already in the locker room to start. Here's what I'll do for you. I'm not going to comment on that because I'm going to jump into this mock draft and we may or may not have some news about Sam Darnold in this mock draft. All right. Sound good. Ah, that's interesting. Okay. I'm, I'm All right. Here. All right. So writer from the athletic Dane Brugler, very, very popular writer has just released his third mock draft. He released it uh, Thursday morning, the 11th. And I just want to rattle off the top 10. And I want to give you a couple more picks. It's only a 32 pick mock draft, but this time this was his first of his three mock drafts to incorporate trades. So I wanted to rattle off the top 10 real quick and I'll mention trades along the way as they go. So number one, overall Jacksonville Jaguars, no question asked Trevor Lawrence quarterback Clemson. Uh, He's been the number one pick for years. So no really real discussion to go into that, but he had his pro day today and he was throwing dimes all over the field. So if you're, if you're a Jags fan, you gotta, you gotta feel excited. Urban loves him, and I think that when you're looking at the quarterback lock, locker room, though, I think because um, I've been able to watch the watch him every now and then, I think Gardner Minshew is a pretty decent quarterback. I think Jacksonville looks at this, and it's just there's no question. Trevor Lawrence, he looks like one of the best pro- quarterback prospects we've seen in a while. I mean, I just don't think there's any way they move from this, just like there's no way that Cincinnati was moving from Joe Burrow. Right. All right, so number two, New York Jets quarterback – uh, BYU Zach Wilson. So this kind of leads into what we're going to talk about, about Sam Darnold in just a minute. I got number three overall. I got a trade first trade of the day. And this is where I think the most popular, the most likely space to get traded is because if you think about it, the dolphins hold this pick, uh, thanks to the Texans. And when you think about it, what, what are they really looking to get here? I think that they're looking for this draft, a lot of offense, a lot of skill players, wide receivers, running backs, tight ends, offensive linemen, you know, the works on offense to help sort of isolate, you know, insulate Tua and help him be more successful. And when you think about who's going to be available at number three, okay, what's the value that I can get at number three for a player versus the value that I can get with trading down and getting more assets to add to that offense. And in this trade, uh, Dane Dane Brugler says the Panthers move up from number eight to number three. They give up the number eight pick, a third and fifth round pick this year, and then a first round pick next year. So the Dolphins are already adding more of that draft capital and the Panthers would get a quarterback. They would draft Justin Fields from Ohio state. Next up at number four, we got the Atlanta Falcons. They take Panay Sewell, the top offensive tackle in this class. Personally, 
I would go quarterback here just because I don't think Matt Ryan has anything left in the tank, but Panay Sewell is definitely the best player available at this point. I mean, he's probably a top three guy in terms of prospect level. So you're looking at improving that offensive line. And even if Matt Ryan can have a bounce back year, Panay Sewell would definitely play a big role in that. You know, number five. That's the thing where I feel as if like for Miami with the, the, the trade with the, that they made with Carolina for fields in this mock, it, it's, it's whether they want to take Panay Sewell or they want to trade down and try to find one of those top receivers in the top 10. Certainly, certainly. And uh, I, I think that there are, I, I think the thing with this is, this is a good class. Like I've been following this draft a lot. This is a good class for quality offensive linemen as well as quality receivers in later rounds. So I think you go either way. Um, I think if the price is right, I think that's a good price to say, okay, we won't take Penesul. We'll move off. We'll look for another offensive lineman maybe later in the draft. I, th- I think getting a couple first round picks and a couple extra picks in this year's draft right. to add to that offense could be a good price to move off. Yeah, you have like the good like Alabama flexible type of uh, lineman in Alex Leatherwood in this draft, and I think that that could be something where they could be looking as well. So I definitely, or even later in this, or even later in the first round, perhaps. All right. Uh, Because they have multiple picks. All right, number five overall. This might be interesting. Kyle Pitts, tight end of Florida. So this is the first skill position player off the board, not one of the wide receivers. Kyle Pitts is getting a lot of talk. He can create mismatches like crazy. He could be an excellent tight end right out of the gate. Um, But the Bengals here, it it seems like the pick has always been the tackles. I want to move on, but I I do feel like you have a reaction to this. But uh, I want to once I finish up the top ten, I'll shoot back to you and. Oh, 100%. I can get some of your comments. Yeah, feel free. All right. So then number six, we got the Philadelphia Eagles. They need a wide receiver. Makes sense. They take the number one off the board. Jamar Chase at LSU opted out this season. Some people think it might be Devontae Smith is the number one guy, but Chase brings that size that and, and more dynamic, I guess, athletic ability that Devontae Smith might not have, although his production in college more than makes up for it. And Devontae Smith will be a really good player. Number seven, we have another trade. This is the Washington football team trading up with the Detroit Lions to get that seventh overall pick. Lions going into a full-term rebuild. I think the Lions should stay here and take a quarterback just because I think Jared Goff is more of a stopgap. But with this trade, the Washington football team would send the Lions way their first-round pick, their third-round pick, and a first-round pick next year. So I think that also could be a good price where the Lions could consider, hey, we can get another first-round pick in next year's draft in addition to our own and the Rams that we got for the Matthew Stafford trade. And the Washington football team would take Trey Lance out of North Dakota State, fourth quarterback off the board, give them that dynamic player uh, that they might be missing in that offense that can add to that overall quality of that roster. So the Dolphins moved down from three. They are now at eight. And they have, uh, Dane Brugger has them taking Devontae Smith, Alabama wide receiver, reuniting him with Tua, giving him that weapon on offense. There's some argument about whether in terms of a prospect, who's better out of the two Alabama wide receivers, whether it's Smith or his teammate Jalen Waddle. Waddle obviously had that injury and then nine and 10, we have this two quarterback, the two corners being taken off the board here. We have the Denver Broncos taking Caleb Farley right out of here at Virginia tech. And then the Dallas Cowboys taking Patrick Sertan, the corner from Alabama. So I want to get your quick reactions on that top 10. And then I've got a couple uh, bounce around the rest of the first round uh, selections. So what, what is your immediate reaction to that top 10? Uh, other than I think that they could possibly trade down to get him. I, I love Kyle Pitts to Cincinnati. Um, I mean, you've been hearing all the things from the like uh, scouts and whatnot that he's already getting the comparisons to 
like a Kelsey 2.0, Gronk, and all these top guys, which I think is very high regards, but he's definitely earned them this year. Um, I remember watching like or looking at one game where he was not with Florida and they struggled. And I think it was against one of the weaker teams in the SEC at that point. I think Pitts is amazing. And when you look at Cincinnati, they're losing someone like um, was well, not only Justin Ross, they're also losing AJ Green. So I think that they need to add that third type of guy. And I think that Pitts is very much a security guy to where rather than Burrow having to scramble out of the pocket the whole time, he can go and look for a dump off to Pitts, dump off to Joe Mixon. Hopefully they can do that a little bit more. And I think that they need to really integrate that more because obviously Burrow was wanting to do as much as he could for Cincy and it got him, led him to getting injured. So yeah, they couldn't get Panay so well, but getting someone like Kyle Pitts here is almost as much security as what you need with this pick. And I think it really builds a good young core for the future, uh, along with the two young receivers they have there in Boyd and T. Higgins. Um, beyond that, the receivers kind of sound right. Uh, I like Trey Lance Washington. And then I've definitely been, whenever I've looked at mock drafts myself, I've definitely been Caleb Farley, Patrick Sertan, uh, one, two. Um, just be, uh, particularly what if it's Broncos in Dallas here, just because for the Broncos, I think that Caleb Farley brings a lot of that good perimeter um, physicality that they need. And then for Sertan, um, the one thing that I haven't even thought about as much, though, I, I personally think that Sertan could be the best corner in the class. I think it's very close between him and Caleb. Um, Sertan, obviously, he played with uh, Diggs last year, who's the other corner for Dallas, who was um, becoming a Pro Bowl guy. So I think that having that type of partnership in the Dallas backfield is something that's going to be highly um, crucial for them moving forward, particularly in a division where you have uh, Jalen Hurts, good young uh, quarterback, now Trey Lance. Um, you have Daniel Jones. you got good receivers. I think it's going to be very helpful for them. So I, I like a lot of these picks that uh, Brugler has. Yeah, I, I like what Dane Brugler does for the athletic. Uh, in terms of the Bengals, I think that Sewell is top of their board. Another name that could be there is probably what most people would consider their second offensive tackle, Rashawn Slater out of Northwestern. Yeah if they would consider him a reach or if they would consider him appropriate, if Sewell's gone off the board there, uh, we still have a long ways to go. I mean, it's only February draft is at the end of April. I mean, I think we still have a proto combine coming up. Hmm. I think the good thing for the Bengals and something I mentioned earlier uh, with uh, Baltimore passively was that um, there's just so many really good offensive linemen in this huge draft. There's so many really good young talents, particularly even at the tackle spot that, Right. I don't think Cincinnati, if they miss out on Sewell, have to force it. They could go in the second round and take Liam Eikenberg or um, uh, Dylan Redunds at North Dakota State. I was going to say, I really like Dylan Redunds. He's a very good player. Had a really good senior bowl. Yeah, like they could still get excellent left tackles in the second round. So if they don't get Panay Sewell, like Kyle Pitts is definitely that security guy. And then they can go and get the left tackle for Burrow. So. I like it. I like it. All right, I want to bounce around the first round, the rest of the first round now. And I will say quickly, uh, I do want Caleb Farley in Dallas only to get his jersey. That's it. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, uh, so I want to bounce around the rest of the first round now. Uh, I want to jump down to the 12th pick because that is where the San Francisco 49ers would be uh, drafting. However, they trade with the New York Jets. The Jets trade the 23rd overall pick and Sam Darnold to get the 12th overall pick and a second round pick in 2022. So that is where Sam Darnold would be going in Dane Brugler's mock draft. He'd be going to San Francisco 
And then the Jets would be drafting Rashawn Slater to potentially play guard next to Makai Becton in New York. So they get a quarterback in Zach Wilson and they give him a lot of protection with those two first round picks up front. So there's kind of your answer to where Sam Darnold could be going is a San Francisco spot. Well, what do you, what are your quick thoughts on that? Uh, honestly, I actually love that value for him. Um, I think it's a good move for jets to where they're able to move up to get uh, more protection for Zach Wilson, who's then going to be their guy. And for someone like San Fran, something that I'd mentioned was the fact of um, San Fran seeming to want to start challenging Jimmy Garoppolo. Cause sure. He's a, a Super Bowl quarterback, but he was really going off that defense that solid built for him. And I think that San Fran knows that, um, Garoppolo has the potential. I mean, Belichick obviously saw him as the replacement to Brady at one time. Um, but I think that they know that they have to try to give him competition for him to shape up. And Sam Darnold's definitely that competition. He's shown electricity, as I've said, that he could be a really good quarterback. It's just he's not in the team right now where that's going to be successful. So I really like that move for San Francisco. And they can still take really good players later in the, this round. So. All right, I'm going to jump down now to the 18th pick. This is where the Dolphins would be picking. This is their pick that they own. But they actually trade back a few more spots with Pittsburgh. So they've traded back now twice in this first round. They trade back with Pittsburgh uh, down to 24. They also had a third-round pick and a sixth-round pick. And uh, Pittsburgh shores up that offensive line. They take the other Virginia Tech first-round projected player, Christian Darisaw, offensive tackle. I think it makes sense. Um, Dan Brugler notes here that Alejandro Villanueva is going to be an upcoming free agent. And Christian Darisaw, the one thing that every scout is praising is his bulldozing run blocking. And for a team that struggled to run the, the football, I, I think that that can definitely uh, be something that can really help the Pittsburgh Steelers. I, I think Darisaw to Pittsburgh is a, is a very good um, pick. And I think that he's a little low here. Uh, because personally, I think he's offensive tackle. I think he's right up there with Rashawn Slater. I think you can make an, an argument for Darisaw being that second tackle off the board behind Panay Sewell. Um, Dave Brugler here has him behind Sewell, Slater, and then uh, Vera Tucker out of USC, who some people say might be more suited for guard. So in terms of just pure tackle, Darisaw is in that second or third spot. And I, I think that him falling to 18 might be a bit of a stretch. I think someone up higher, even if they don't need an offensive lineman might look to him and say, Hey, that's an improvement that we can make to really help our team. I mean, yeah, for Pittsburgh, this makes a lot of sense, but to me, this doesn't make sense for Miami. Miami definitely needs offensive uh, line. I think as well, I think they need some good protection for someone like Tua Tunga Bailoa. And since they didn't get uh, Panay uh, Sewell, like Christian Darisaw is like your next best option at left tackle. And if he falls all the way to 18, I don't know why they would trade out of that personally. They do end up taking um, Zayvon Collins out of Tulsa, that linebacker out of Tulsa with that pick that Pittsburgh got them in the first round. So they trade back out of a couple of guys that could potentially really help them on the offensive line and help protect Tua, but they add a offensive weapon and a defensive player on a defense that's already really, really good. Uh, so in, ter in terms of what they're doing, but like you said, there are still plenty of options in other rounds and they have plenty of draft capital to fill those needs uh, in, in the rest of the draft. And they're, they're also in a pretty good cap situation. They're up there in like the top 10 in terms of teams with money going into free agency. 
I, right, I want to touch on. Awesome, you know? Yeah, yeah, for sure. All right, I want to touch on two two more picks. New Orleans Saints taking the fifth quarterback off the board. This would be Mac Jones out of Alabama. I'm not a big Mac Jones guy. I don't think he has the athleticism. I don't think he has the tools to succeed. Maybe I'm wrong, but I think the Saints should honestly just bury their head and go with Jameis Winston for a year. I think that Winston would be a better option than Mac Jones. Uh, yeah, sure. I agree with that. Um, I, I kind of think that um, he's been talked about a lot to New England. Uh, I think Belichick or uh, Sean Payton could do a good job with Mac Jones. I think it's just making sure that you have a good team around him. Because uh, I think it's hard, particularly with these Alabama quarterbacks, to gauge how good they are because of how good of a team they tend to play on. So I, I, I do agree with that. Um, but at the end of the day, they're getting a quarterback for the future. They have someone that they could guarantee five years out of um, if they want to use that fifth-year uh, option on him. So I, I agree with you with Jameis Winston, but I could also understand New Orleans' viewpoint. I would also be surprised if Mac Jones slips this far since you have four quarterbacks going in the top ten, and there's a lot of quarterback-desperate teams this year, it seems like. so. Exactly, yeah. I mean, I, I, I've seen if, say, the Colts weren't able to pull the trigger, I, I, I've i seen Mac Jones' ties to the Colts. I, I, I personally would not be excited about that, but it's just it's just another team I where it's like, okay. I would be excited about it, but I can see it, yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's just, okay, can we upgrade here? And maybe, yep. maybe you do need to reach a little bit, but, I mean, quarterback is that important that reaching is not something that you can get really grilled for. All right, last pick here. Uh Miami trades with Tampa Bay. They trade up out of the second round with their 36th overall pick. And they add in a couple of late round picks to end up and they snag Travis Etienne running back from Clemson. Uh, there's some debate about Etienne versus Najee Harris out of uh, Alabama in terms of who's the top running back in this class. Uh, I think I would slightly sway Etienne just because he's, I, I mean, now he's just the better runner. Etienne may, might just be the more, you know, packaged back but i'm not big on trading up for and especially not drafting running backs if you're unless you're a team that you think is a piece away i think miami's more than just a piece away and i think that if they just sat back at that 36 overall pick they could land a Najee harris they might be able to land etn and they can focus on drafting an offensive tackle drafting another wide receiver a tight end re- really getting more pieces for tua um I, I I see what they're going with here because I do think they need a running back, but I, I think that – I don't think this is the right move. How about you? Um, I mean, this is one of the things where I talked about with left tackle again. Um, with with Darisol, as I said, I think it was just with the value for where he fell, I would be taking him at 18 if I was Miami. And this is another move where I feel as if it's wrong because, yet again, this running back class is very stacked. Um, I, I think it's quietly stacked in a way, but it's still really good. Uh, you got the North Dakota or North Dakota, North Carolina duo of Javonta Williams and uh, Michael Carter. You got Travis Etienne. You got Najee Harris. You got uh, Blacksburg uh, favorite Khalil Herbert, who I think is someone who could be a monster in the NFL if given the right team. I don't think you need to trade up for someone like Etienne if you're Miami. Plus, you had two really good running backs last year. Um, not like the best, but they're people that could help out with the offense overall. So. I feel as if getting someone like Etienne isn't going to be too much help. And Miami's such a, like, they're so good at finding running backs in the draft and through undrafted. 
Uh, like that's kind of been their bread and butter for years. Like a lot of teams have their bread and butters for what they find. That's definitely Miami's bread and butter. So I don't know why they'd be forcing getting Etienne if they can go and wait and get someone like Khalil Herbert in the third round. Like, I think that would definitely be a great suit for I definitely agree. I think this is a quietly stacked running back class and there are definitely a lot of skilled position players. And I think that most people are kind of catching on to the idea that you don't want to pay running backs really the big money. And I don't think you need to spend too much great value on them, especially if you can just get some quality players that can contribute to your offense. Uh, so that about wraps up the mock draft recap from Dane Brugler of the athletic. And that wraps up this episode of the 3304 sports podcast. Thank you all for listening. For Cole Bjorn Bergstrom, I am Daniel Seinbach. Have a very good weekend, everyone, and take care.